0: Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D. bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem.
1: Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 16. This is your host, Blem.
0: Listeners, thank you for joining us once again. This is Mike D., your co-host. And for this episode, I just want to go on the record and let you all know, I'm not wearing any pants. Here at MLS Gone Wild, we really believe in transparency for our listeners. So there it is. No, I am not in the nude. But decide that when I was changing out of my clothes from work, you know, I was like, eh, don't need any pants here, right? I mean, we don't show the video for this podcast. So we're going full Ron Burgundy on this episode. Blake, thoughts?
1: Uh, yeah, what color are your underwear?
0: They are they an are d- undisclosed color.
1: Okay, but that was not an ad.
0: That was that was not an ad. No, but <laughs> so last episode we recorded. Blake was packing his bags and getting ready for a six a.m. flight to Columbus to visit his family, but also to go to his first ever game in Columbus's brand new stadium, Lower.com Field. Blake, now that you're home from your mini vacation, give us the inside scoop on your experience of the stadium and everything that led up to it.
1: Yeah, last week we were recording the podcast, and at that point, I had not packed a lick. But it doesn't take me more than about 15 minutes to pack anyways. I was super excited, so I was just throwing stuff in the bag. Anyway, stayed up super late editing the podcast. You know me. Woke up early, 4.30 in the morning. Girlfriend drove me to Norfolk International. Got on the flight. It was packed. I hadn't seen that many people at an airport since pre-pandemic, so I flew Well, I sat in the the window seat, and there was a lady in the aisle seat. Right before we took off, some big military guys came and sat smack dab in the middle of us. So I'm packed in there like a stardine smacked against the window seat. I fly to Baltimore, and I get there, and I thought Norfolk was packed. Baltimore was a different animal. That place was crazy. The line to Chick-fil-A was actually back to Norfolk, I'm pretty sure. That plane was full. The people of Baltimore in that airport, they know zero rules when it comes to drinking. so. Baltimore Airport, they, they had a really nice bar in there. Got a couple drinks in me. Got home anyway, super excited for the game. My buddies come pick me up. I'm, I'm stoked. I got my crew gear on. I got my scarf. I got my little pol- my poster rolled up so Aiden Morris can sign it when I meet him at the game. I'm like a kid excited and ready for Christmas. We get there. It's completely different from Historic Crew Stadium. Historic Crew Stadium, you show up, there's the big parking lot. It's all about the tailgating before the game. And we get there. And where the new stadium is, it's Nationwide Arena, Huntington Park, which is the Columbus Clippers, the AAA baseball team. They're amazing stadium. And then Cruz Stadium a little bit further. So we had to park in the Nationwide parking garages. So it makes for a different pregame atmosphere. So no parking lot means no tailgating. But Columbus did just pass new legislation called DORA Designated Outdoor Refreshment Area. This wasn't in effect last Wednesday. But essentially, fans can purchase beverages from bars on or near Nationwide Avenue and carry them outside in designated areas on the way to Crew, Clippers, and Blue Jackets games, starting three hours before the game and ending at 11.59 p.m. So there's your pregame. They're promoting small business by letting you bar hop and things like that. So whereas I'm used to going to games and pregaming in the parking lot, this game I went to a small little bar on Nationwide Avenue called Betty's. You walk in. Really dim lighting in there, but it's lit up with the new gray and gold kits for the Columbus crew. Nordeca strong in this place. Crew vibes strong in this place. Everybody's drinking, having a good time, getting ready for the match. And it's a stone's throw away from Lower.com Field. So I had never had that kind of feeling before where I can just stop at the bar and then walk to the stadium. I can see it from the front stoop of this little hole-in-the-wall bar. And that was cool. We had a couple drinks there. We walk over to the stadium. And they have, like, there's no waiting at the gates. You do self-scanning tickets. So I had all four tickets on my phone, scanned one, step through, scanned the other, step through, did that four times. And I was like, did I even need tickets? Like, that was one of the easiest processes of getting into an event that I've ever been a part of. So that was really cool compared to Old Historic Crew Stadium. You're waiting 20, 25 minutes, depending on the importance of the match to even get into the stadium. And we got in there. So simply, there was, there was no issue, no speed bumps, anything like that. We get there, there's a band playing, crew cats over there dancing with some drunk lady. Uh, that, that was really cool. So we took a, a nice walk around the stadium. We got there about an hour early. So I got to really take in the detail of the stadium itself. And honestly, it's, it's so aesthetically pleasing. And the attention to detail that was put into creating the stadium was amazing. The layout of the stadium was incredible. I've only been to a couple stadiums in my lifetime in MLS and other professional leagues across America, but that felt so modern and so European-esque. I absolutely love that. So the the architecture of the stadium was beautiful. We get there, we grab a couple beers, Mate gets a hot dog, we get front front row, not front row, right next to uh, the Nordeca Brass, which is the band that's playing throughout the entire game. or are right next to them, top row of the bottom section of Nordeca. It's quite spacious in there, but you can fit thousands of thousands people in Nordeca. Anyways, I leave to go get another beer. And as soon as I leave, they do the wise men say before the game. Last time I was at a crew game, they were only doing it after the match. And now the crew players were like, you know what? I think that's a hell of a way to get the vibes up, you know, get the energy up in Lower Dot Com Field when we're walking out there to do Wiseman say. So here I am with a couple beers in my hand, standing there like I'm missing this whole thing, but it was incredible. The stadium fell silent, and then all you could hear were the fans' voices. And I got back up there, and Greg Mate and Joe are like, "You just missed the coolest moment that you were going to witness here," but I could feel the energy there. To be honest with you, I could feel it. I've seen it on TV, and I, and I. I missed it, and I, I hate that, but it, it was a vibe. It was a real vibe, and it was probably one of the coolest traditions there is in MLS. Nordeca was absolutely rocking for the full 90 minutes, and Mike D we watched the game against, you watched the game against Nashville? I was there. We really didn't start playing until the last 15 minutes, honestly. We were really going for. We were trying to win the game. And as soon as the players started playing, or as soon as we started cheering, we were feeding off one another. And it was so loud for that last 15 minutes. We were screaming, chanting, hollering, clapping, everything you could imagine. That was one of the coolest experiences I've had in a supporter section in my entire life. So Nordeka, shout out to them. They were absolutely rocking. I got to meet Aiden Morris, who we had on the podcast. That was awesome.
0: Yeah, so before uh, you before you go on, just to give the listeners a little bit of a backstory on this, we have, as you've heard, if you listen to the podcast, I've had Aiden Morris on on the show. And before Blake went to Columbus, he had been tweeting out information, you know, that we were, he was going to be there. He was going to the game, you know, trying to encourage listeners that may be going to the game as well, that are crew fans to to meet up. And, and Aiden Morris had responded to Blake through DMs on Instagram and just basically was like, hey, man, like, you know, basically just letting him know that he would be around if he wanted to meet up essentially and so blake talked about bringing his poster to the game blake when he signed up to be a nordica member got the uh stadium map or the stadium um blueprint Blueprint. if you will um that that comes with being a nordica member and he brought that to the game and you know through the conversations on the dms and instagram blake asked him he's like hey man i'm bringing this to the game would you mind would you mind signing it and they were supposed to meet up before the game. Some traffic kind of got in the way of that. And so at halftime, Blake ended up getting to go meet him, um, talked with him a little bit about his, his injury, got him to sign the, the blueprint as well as some other players. And so, uh, yeah, go ahead and, and pick up from there. I just wanted to give a little bit of backstory on that.
1: Yeah, no, it was cool. I got up to, like, the private suite level where the broadcast is and everything like that, the player, uh, private suite, and all the injured guys were up there, Milton Valenzuela, him, Artur, Josh Williams, all those guys were up there, Uh, Vito Warmgore. And Aiden came out. Uh, We exchanged a few words. Uh, We shook each other's hands. He's like, hey, I'll be right back. I gave him my Sharpie. Like I said, I felt like a kid on Christmas. It was ridiculous. I hadn't been that excited in a while, and this kid's younger than me. But he comes back out a couple minutes later. He asked how the podcast is going, so I thought that was really cool. I asked about how his injury and rehabilitation process was going with his torn ACL. We chatted about that for a second. And then he told me, "He's like, hey, man, anytime you're in town, just hit me up and you know, we'll, we'll get you to a game. So that was a really cool experience meeting a player that we've had on the podcast before. And somebody I respect a lot, even though he's younger than me, I think he's a hell of a player. And once he gets healthy and goes out there and shows what he can do, he probably won't be a crew player for more than – A year or two longer but like I said the crew pushed for the final 15 minutes and that was really fun to see shot after shot Kevin Molino missed one just wide that would have been his first goal as a Columbus Uh, crew player yeah that would have been great Matan came on and he played great anyways we're not going to really get into the game but we left the match and leaving the match was also one of the coolest moments of the game I talked about the wise men say before we did the wise men say after it's an awesome experience if you get a chance to go to a crew game don't leave before the final whistle Okay, Stay for the wise men Get there early enough to do wise men say But leaving the match Everybody left the match in unison We were walking at a snail's pace Just because there were so many people trying to leave at once But just as we all walked down Nationwide Avenue together To get to Lower.com Field We also left the stadium together And as we were all leaving the stadium Walking down at Pitch Black Nationwide Avenue To go back to Betty's Everybody was screaming and singing in unison Columbus Crew Chants So having that feeling of as you're going to the game, and as you're leaving the game, you're still chanting. You're still supporting your team. Like, that was an experience that I've never felt before at a, at a crew game or anywhere else. So I think that was awesome. And another really cool moment, like I said, there's a AAA stadium, Huntington Park right there. And baseball games last forever. So by the time the crew game was over, the Clippers were going into the final inning. So people were literally going out by their home run wall they have like cutouts where you can look in and watch the game. So crew fans were all stopping and gathering there to watch the game. So like the sense of community that's in those, in that one strip of nationwide Avenue with nationwide arena, Huntington park and lower.com field, Columbus did themselves a hell of a job and the layout of this. It it was absolutely amazing. If anybody's that's listening, hasn't got a chance to go there yet. Go. I, I highly suggest it. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you had a wonderful time, and I missed it. I missed all of it. So, you know, I'll hopefully get to, to one of those sooner rather than later. But I'm glad that you had a good time. It sounds like it was a wonderful experience. I really like the idea of being able to purchase beverages, you know, in and around the stadium uh, for that, uh, that, that time frame that you had mentioned. And um, the fact that the, the bar was so close, I mean, that's just, it's just added value there. I think that it's amazing. It's got to be a wonderful time. It was, it was so cool.
1: But anyway, guys, I just gave you the full rundown from the time we parked to the, the minutes after the match. It was great. But back to the main course. This past week served up 26 matches in a six-day span. Timbers maestro Diego Valeri scored his 100th goal for the Timbers. Shout out, Diego. Ricardo Pepe scored a hat trick at the weekend, making him the youngest player to net three in a match in MLS history. The Sounders rolled out a starting line lineup midweek that featured five players under the age of 20. Mike D.I. said five, and they won. LAFC and the Rapids struck a deal that would send Canadian international Mark Anthony Kaye to Colorado for $1 million of general allocation money and a 2022 international roster spot. The race for the top spots in the East is heating up. Just three points separate second-place Nashville from sixth place and red-hot New York City FC. Oh, and the U.S. Men's National Team beat Jamaica to advance to the Gold Cup semifinals. All that and more, but Mike D., let's get into it. 68 goals were scored this week, over two and a half per match. So many golosos to choose from. Mike D., what was your goal of the week and why?
0: There was one really, really, really good one, and you decided to choose it, which is fine. So I went with another one. I scoured the internet for the goals, all the goals, right? And the one that I chose with Johnny Russell's free kick um, just outside the 18 uh, right-hand side, um, you know, and usually the wall is set up to obviously cover portion of the goal and, and the keeper covers the other side of the goal, right? So sets it up on the right-hand side um, where the foul is drawn. And normally the decision is to go up and over the wall or somewhere underneath of it on the opposite side, the keeper is, is covering, but Johnny Russell did not do that. Johnny Russell kicked the ball struck the ball there for um curler right towards um right towards the keeper which is not something that you normally see um and it went off the post in and so for me what makes this the goal of the week is the gusto that johnny russell had and the confidence that he had to 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 not hit this as a standard free kick in this position that you normally see it um Beautifully, beautifully struck uh, right off the post, and then on the left hand side. So goal of the week for me goes to Johnny Russell.
1: You're a sucker for a good free kick, man. Wasn't it last week Carlos Hill?
0: Uh, probably. I can't remember. I think so. I think. I think it was. I think. I think so too. But yeah, Johnny Russell. He's
1: we we've talked so much about Lucas Ellerion and his free kicks this year, but Johnny Russell can put one wherever he wants it as well. In their game, I believe against San Jose at the midweek, Johnny Russell hit a very similar. Free kick that like the one that you just described, and it ended up going like bar down and Daniel Shalloway pounced on it to save the tie for sporting Kansas City. So Johnny Russell's capable of hitting him free kicks, so watch out for him. But you talked about gusto. What about Gustavo Boom. Mm. The 29th minute goal. <laughs> okay, I I was I was on the plane on the way back from Ohio and I had this one tuned up. I paid eight dollars for the Wi-Fi just so I could watch this game on ESPN Plus. And Gustavo's, Gustavo Bo's 29th minute goal was an absolute rocket. It went bar down and then bar down again and hit the bar inside the goal and bounced out. It was an absolute rocket. But one thing I want to point out that led to the goal, which was just as impressive to me as the goal itself was Matt Polster winning that 50-50 with the sliding tackle to retain possession for the revs, And the ball gets out wide to Gustavo and the rest is history from there. So Gustavo, is He's he's been put on a show for the revs, man. And that was that was my goal of the week.
0: Yeah, absolute absolute stunner. I mean, the ball flew off Bo's foot. I mean, it doesn't even look like he hit it that hard, but that thing was a rocket, man. And just the way that on a rope, you see it hit the top bar and down. It's just oh, what a beauty! What a beauty!
1: Yeah, it, it went bar down and then bar down again. Like mm. He hit the he hit the piss out of that ball.
0: Oh yeah, keeper didn't even know what to do. So talked about the goal of the week now we're gonna get into our segment. all the small things where Blake and I choose one moment from the week <laughs> We choose one moment from the week um, that was a little bit uh, a moment that from a, a game that we choose that goes unnoticed something that maybe is a little bit more simplified where you know you see all these goals or you see all these great plays, but something just a little bit smaller that we like to highlight so Blake, what was your? All the small things for this week.
1: So there was a little moment in the Gustavo Bo goal. It's not my all the small things, but there was the outside back made an overlapping run, and the right back of whoever the revs played, I can't remember off the top of my head, gave Bo enough respect that that guy's doing the overlap, so I can't commit. And that overlap really set up the golazo that was Gustavo Bo's but my all the small things of the week was in the 42nd of the crew win over Atlanta United. So it's going to be a little bit different than my traditional ones, Mike T. Abubakar Kato's positioning while defending the counterattack helped the crew record their sixth shutout of the season. Kevin Molino turned the ball over at midfield and Atlanta United were off to the races. Marcelino Moreno, Eric Lopez and Joseph Martinez were on a three V two counterattack with only Mensa and Kato to beat. Eric Lopez was carrying the ball into zone 14 right outside of Cruz 18. Moreno split left. Joseph went right. Kata had a decision to make. Stop the ball, meaning stop Eric Lopez, or eliminate Joseph from the play by cutting off any passing angle. Both Kata and Mensah stayed with their marks and in doing so simplified the game for Eloy room. Eloy faced an Eric Lopez shot coming from straight on outside of the 18. Pretty easy stuff for the best goalkeeper in the league, right, Mikey?
0: That's right.
1: Decision-making, positioning, and understanding where the greatest threat is on the counterattack is what stood out to me for the crew's 21-year-old homegrown, Abubakar Keita. Mike D, it's so simple that he didn't even have to touch the ball.
0: So my all the small things for this week is going to go to the person who won your goal of the week. And Gustavo Bowe, in his second goal against Montreal, scores by doing something just just so slight. But made all the difference. Um, As a midfielder, you're constantly, for me personally, you're you're looking for ways in which you're going to create just a little bit of space for yourself so you can receive the ball and and maybe distribute it in in the other direction or or find an option going forward. But Gustavo Bowe is is making a run into the box because Brandon Bay is getting slipped in on the right-hand side. Brandon Bay receives the ball. Dribbling towards the end line, but Gustavo Bo is obviously recognizing this and making the run towards the six to put himself in, in position to receive the ball and possibly score a goal. And the defender is right there along the way with him every step. Gustavo Bo takes one second, stops his run, takes one step backwards. He's right on the top of the six. Now he's created enough space for himself. And Brandon By plays what we called in college the seven ball, where you dribble to the end line and you pass the ball back towards the 18. So all of this happened in perfect timing. Gustavo Bo is. is Timing his run as Brandon Bay is getting to the end line, but then really, really quickly stops that run. Brandon By realizes it finds him, and Gustavo Bo one times into the back of that first first brace. That split second decision to stop that run is is all the small things for me. Uh, just just really well done, very smart by Gustavo, and, and and hats off to him.
1: Gustavo Bo knows that the defender is at the disadvantage there. The defender has to react to whatever he does. And the defender thinks he's going to continue making that run. So the defender is continuing to retreat into his goal mouth. And Gustavo Bo stops, takes one step back, and he's got a wide open shot. So having that presence of mind to know that you're dictating what the defender does and you're in full control there, that, goes, uh, that, that says a lot about Gustavo Bo And a player that does that really well, if teams can get in line, that's lethal. That is perfect soccer. It's a pretty good way to score goals, Mike D., right?
0: It's what you want from the guy up top.
1: Absolutely. Right. If you score more goals, you'd win the game.
0: That's right. You score more goals and you and you don't let the other team score goals, then you're gonna win games.
1: Perfect game plan. Well, Mike D, let's get into some of our Western Conference headlines. What do you say?
0: Ah, uh, let's get it.
1: All right, let's start with the league's fifth leading goal scorer and the youngest player to score a hat trick, hat trick in league history, 18-year-old Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo scored three goals in FC Dallas' 4-0 win over the LA Galaxy. That makes it seven goals in his last eight matches and eight total on the year. It's raining goals at the moment for this kid, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. In an article published by FC Dallas, Pepe confidently said, hopefully at the end of the season, I'm the top scorer in the whole league. The Pepe train has left the station. I'm on board. Mike D, I hope you're on board. And the rest of the league better watch the hell out. Is this just hype or is Ricardo Pepe the real deal?
0: I don't know. Um, I mean, the kid's playing great. He made history. Youngest ever MLS player to record a hat trick in 18 and however many days in their win, uh, four-a-win, by the way, over the Galaxy last Saturday, uh, named MLS player of the week. Um, he, he's having a great season he's having a great season. He's got, he's got eight goals. Um, and so I, I think that absolutely he's the real deal from what he's showing right now. Um, I mean, we've seen, we've seen things like, you know, Daniel Shallow, we come out, have a breakout season, and then not do so great the next season. But then now again, in 2021, he's, he's also, he's bouncing back and having kind of a comeback season. So he's having a breakout season, you know, great for him. He's doing, he's doing wonderful things. He's putting a lot of goals on the back of the net. I think his average goal time is like 98 minutes per goal. And so we'll see, time will tell, but I don't, I don't want to quite jump on, on a, on a hype train per se. Um, I think we have a tendency to see a player perform well in any given amount of time, relatively short period of time and, and say, Oh, this is the next best thing. And maybe just American soccer, but, He's doing great and and good for him. So I hope that he continues it, and I hope that you know he continues to score goals.
1: And this is a trend for him. He was the youngest player ever in USL to score a hat trick, I believe, at the age of 16. So scoring a hat trick and being the youngest guy to do it in his league is nothing new to him. But I think the narrative of him scoring this hat trick was so cool. His grandfather passed away. On the date that he scored the hat trick a year beforehand, and he dedicated that hat trick to him, and so I think that was a, a really cool moment for him to be able to go out and perform the way he did and dedicate that to his grandfather, somebody he he seems to have loved so much. That's that's an amazing story, an amazing narrative, and we love those kinds of things. But he's also scored a brace early, earlier this season. He scored a brace against the Revolution. One came off of a diving header. Like this kid actually scores. Really good goals, like he's nothing's in a,
0: front of the box. Yeah, he,
1: yeah, nothing is just a tap in for him. You just stole my next line. I do have that he's lethal in front of goal, but in saying that, he's also just a really technical player. He's really clean on the ball with his preparation touches. His runs out of the midfield. He scored one goal against the Galaxy where he pointed to the space where he wants the ball. So he's he's a he's a really good player. and He's smart for his age. We're we're starting to catch up to the world where like oh they're 18 they need to start performing well he's been doing this since he was 16 so ricardo pepe is definitely one to watch out for in the future and speaking of his future he just scored or he just signed a new five-year contract through 2026 with fc dallas and when you first look at it you're like oh okay we don't want him there until 2026 right so let's just take a look at like what signing a long-term contract actually looks like. It's really there just to boost his transfer fee. We've already seen teams, I believe, in League One that were interested in him, but they're not going to be able to pay the fee right now. But a transfer fee should be more accurately described as buying out the remaining years of a player's contract with another club. We've seen D.C., not D.C. United, F.C. Dallas do this with probably almost a dozen players at this point, um, you know, selling them off. and. Ricardo Pepe is probably the next one. We just saw Tanner Testman go. Brian Reynolds went last season. Now, Ricardo Pepe, he's the next guy in the story for FC Dallas. And they seem to always do good business. They look out for the best interests of their players. And with a guy that's performing the way that he is, we saw a guy, not necessarily similar to this, but Daryl DK, do this last year. And he got a trial over at Barnsley and almost got that team promoted to the Premier League. So ricardo pepe arguably uh, I, i'm more on that hype train than i was on daryl dk right now at this point i think they're different players mm-hmm. and ricardo oh yeah i'm there i'm i'm fully on the ricardo pepe train mike d i'm all the way there and you might as well jump on oh, i don't man. think this is a to, fluke man
0: to be more on the ricardo pepe train than the daryl dk that one's a little difficult for me i mean to go over and play english football in the second division
1: I'm talking about and, and, and
0: score the amount of goals that he scored and do what he did for that club in the short amount of period that he did is, for me, a little 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 different. But you can have your opinion. That's cool. That's cool.
1: Absolutely. But I'm talking about in, like, their breakout season in MLS. You know what I'm saying? I think Ricardo Pepe is put, putting on as good as or maybe a better performance than Daryl DK did. I don't have the specific numbers right here. Daryl Dike he put up good numbers for, uh, for Orlando City last year, but – I'm, a, I'm on the Ricardo Pepe train, baby. and mm-hmm. I'm also on the Ricardo Pepe train for the U.S. Men's National Team. I know he's a dual nat. Mexico's got their hands in the pot as well. But we're, we don't have a definitive number nine yet. Is it DK? Is it Zardes? Is it Giacchini? Is it all these other – is it Balogun that plays for Arsenal? It could be our own guy right in front of our eyes at, at FC Dallas, Ricardo Pepe.
0: Uh-huh. We'll Tough see. to say. I,
1: I know, but it's an option. And he's mm-hmm. killing it at the age of 18.
0: He, he's doing well for himself. Absolutely, absolutely, he is.
1: All right. Some big thanks are coming for Ricardo Pepi, but there were some other young guys that had impressed in the midweek games. The Sounders started five teenagers in the midweek win over expansion side Austin FC: Obed Vargas, 15; Reed Baker-Whiting, 16; Ethan dobelair 18; Danny Lavia, 18, and Josh Atencio, 19. Brian Schmetzer and the Sounders Academy have these kids prepared for the pro stage when most of them should still be dressing for their high school varsity teams. Nobody is playing at full strength right now, but how impressive is it that the Sounders were able to get three points on the road with high schoolers out there?
0: It was impressive. Um, It it was impressive the way these five youngsters stepped into this game and showed confidence and really signals that, they will be good products in MLS as they grow and and get more experience. I mean, they play under a fantastic coach who seems to always have all the right answers. And thanks to a good defensive strategy and a Rui Diaz wonder goal, they were able to take three points away from this match. And um, we saw some of the youngsters in the game on Saturday against SKC and it's a little bit of a different story against, against a, a more powerhouse of a team, but overall very impressive. Um, so I think what I loved most was the way that these kids rose to the occasion. And, and when watching some of the highlights, they went out, they didn't play scared. And they really attacked the game. And you can see this. Um, I think it was Dobler who was playing on the right wing, right wing back, um, getting, getting, getting forward a lot, showing that he has that ability um, at, at such a young age that it was really, really cool to see. Um, and that's a tough thing to do at a young age, you know, and it just speaks volumes to the genius of Brian Schmetzer and what he does to prepare his players mentally.
1: You're giving a lot of credit there to Brian Schmetzer. We just talked about the FC Dallas Academy and the guys that they've produced that now play overseas. You don't talk a lot about the Sounders Academy, but now that we've got these five guys that just just played and they got their first dub you got guys that are 15, 16, two guys are 18 and one guy that's 19. All of them are homegrowns have come up through the system. Like maybe it's time to give the Sounders some respect.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, Josh Atencio, we saw him get his his debut this earlier this season and he immediately stood out and he's continuing to stand out. And in that game, he was, he was, he was one of the best players on the field and um, Danny Leva as well played, played, played a really good game. I think we saw a lot of the, the good, the good sides of this game in the defensive end. You know, you got guys getting stuck in on tackles and things like that, keeping a good shape, which is just Sounders football. But you know, really, hats off to them. Credit to these young guys coming out, not playing scared, playing with confidence, um, and yeah, they 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 got it. They got it going in their favor for and we'll, we'll probably see these guys uh, a lot more um, as as the future goes on.
1: Yeah, none of them necessarily wowed you with talent, and that's not what we should expect. Brian Schmetzer is a brilliant coach and letting the players know like this is the job that I need you to do and the players went out and they did their job and they did it exceptionally well I'm sure under a lot of pressure I couldn't imagine being 15 Mike D and going out there and playing in front of all those fans at Q2 against Austin FC it's one of the most loud and hostile environments in all of MLS so I, I couldn't imagine being 15 or 16 or really even 18 or 19. Like what were you doing at 15, Mike
0: D? Oh, me, I was checking the mirror and seeing if I had any armpit hairs growing in. Like that's what <laughs> I was doing, playing video games, like not, not playing in, in front of a, a packed house and getting screamed at by, by adults. Definitely not yeah. that.
1: Yeah, I was still going to the park and playing like flashlight tag. So, <laughs> <laughs> So good for these kids for being able to go out, handle the pressure, do their jobs and do it exceptionally well. And it really says something about the academy again. It's always nice for – especially in a season like this with all these international breaks and a lot of teams are suffering injuries. The Sounders have, I believe you told me, pre-pod, 10 guys out. So it's nice to be able to have a plethora of players in the academy system that have been coached and developed and are ready to, if they need to step in and simply just do a job. I don't need you to come out here and score a couple goals. I need you to do a job. And it's nice as a coach like Brian Schmetzer to say, I've got guys I can fall back on tier after tier after tier. And he's, he's peeled back the layers of what's available to him, and they've still done a really, really good job at surviving. Granted, they've lost two of their last three, but they're surviving. It's right. amazing. It's amazing that they went this long without losing a game. So shout to them. But speaking of the Sounders, they closed out the double game week action with their second loss in three, like I just said, versus Sporting Kansas City, SKC are unbeaten in their last five and have impressive wins against teams above the playoff line, including the Galaxy, Rapids, LAFC, and, of course, like we just said, the Sounders. Mike D, is this SKC team the class of the West and a legit supporter Shield contender?
0: Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. Um, I mean, they're, this team is out-possessing almost every single team that they play, and they're scoring a lot of goals. They're ranked second. Um, highest scoring team in MLS. Um, they have a strong side, veterans on their team, and they have a great coach in Peter Shaw is having a comeback season, nine goals and three assists. Polito's on six goals and one assist, and he was hurt um, in as many games last year. So he's got six goals and one assist in as many games last year um, that he had before he got hurt. So he, he had six goals last year, too, before he he was not playing anymore. So he's going to continue his form so long as he stays healthy. Um, Johnny Russell, if he continues to 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 catch form, um, he's a great player as well, and they still got Zucy back there. Um, so yeah, this this is no surprise. Um, SKC finished top of the, the Western Conference last year, tied in points with the Sounders in Portland, and obviously last year was decided by points per game. Um, so this is this is no surprise here. Uh, SKC kind of goes underlooked a little bit, but that's okay for them. They don't care. So. Yeah, I, I think that they're definitely in contention for Supporter Shield. Um, and, hey, they, they might even make they're, – they're only a couple points outside the top of the West, so anything can happen. There's a lot they, of season left.
1: There sure is. The transfer window's still open. They just got a brand-new owner pouring some money at Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, partial mm-hmm. owner of SKC. So that's a good acquisition by them, but they're—I think—they're getting ready to lose a guy, Mike D. He's going to go play with Tanner Testman, John Luca Bucio.
0: Yeah, I mean they're playing without him right now. They're doing just fine. So I mean, yeah. I think uh, you know it's kind of hard to de- determine right now. I mean, not really for them because they're sitting um, second in the West. So they've had him, and they've only not had Busio for a short period of time. But and they just knocked out Seattle, but Seattle's banged up and missing some guys due to international duty. So um, yeah, time will tell. But uh, there's no worry here. They're they're definitely top contenders.
1: Yeah, Peter Vermees came out and said something along these lines earlier this week, like none of these games are going to cha- change the season or define the season. Like we're playing right. teams that are beat up, got guys on international duty. So we just played a Sounders team that – are playing with teenagers, like no discredit to them, but we're not playing a a, a team's full 11 right now and neither are we. So we really don't know where we're at. We won't have a measuring stick game until after the international break is over. But Peter Vermees is a great coach. They have a really good core of players for sport in Kansas city. And like you said, I think they're a little underappreciated, kind of like Caleb Porter thinks the crew is uh, because of the power rankings. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think Sporting Kansas City is very underappreciated by us. There's so many games to watch every week, and Kansas City has just never been on our radar. So, Mike D, I think we need to make an effort to watch a little bit more of Sporting Kansas City. Yeah, probably.
0: I mean, you're sitting top of the top of the West like that. I mean, we've been watching a little bit, you know, watching Daniel Shalley score some goals and get some assists, you know. So, yeah, maybe a little bit more attention to those, those games. But
1: yeah, Gotti Kinda, one of the better midfielders in the league as well. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of flying under the radar. I think he's got three goals in the season, a couple assists. He's looked really good. Roger Espinosa, ex Ohio State guy. He's been in the league forever, still holding it down in the midfield. All right, so staying on topic in the West, two Western Conference teams above the playoff line were able to strike a deal for a blockbuster inter MLS transfer. LAFC traded Canadian midfielder Mark Anthony K. To the Colorado Rapids for $1 million in general allocation money. That's a lot of game. And a 2022 international roster spot. Since joining expansion side LAFC in 2018, Mark Anthony Kaye has made 89 appearances, scoring nine goals and assisting 18. Rapids executive VP and general manager had this to say regarding Mark Anthony Kaye. He's been one of the best central midfielders in the league over the last several years and has played a critical role in the success of the teams he's been a part of. The Rapids' midfield is already stacked with guys like Jack Price, Kellen Acosta, and Cole Bassett, and a few others I will not name. What are your thoughts on this trade? Where does he fit into this team? And does this trade help the Rapids as they continue to push for a playoff spot?
0: So both teams, Rapids and LAFC, benefit from this trade, in my opinion. Um, obviously, the, the Rapids acquired him for – a million in in general allocation money and an international slot. Also LAFC's 2022 2022 first round draft pick. Uh, But they could receive, LAFC could receive additional general allocation money if case hits certain benchmarks. Um, Adding K to the mix bolsters Colorado's midfield. And in the event that Kellen Acosta starts to generate interest, maybe internationally, he's been really kind of doing well. With the U.S. National Team and even with the Rapids when he's playing with them, uh, this this kind of helps to hinder that blow a little bit if he does leave. Um, LFC have bolstered their their general allocation money and still have Atuesta blessing and some other guys in their midfield, um, but Atuesta might be on his way out, and I think it's it's really just a matter of when. And he's really their guy in the midfield, so if he does go. LAFC is kind of the one taking the risk here. Um, they're going to have a hole to fill, and they may struggle, but they may also not as well just because they're a really good team. They have Sifuentes, they have Janela, uh, and some youngsters like Bryce Duke who can you know, all step up to the plate. Uh, but overall, good return on investment um, for Mark-Anthony Kay coming up from the USL on a five-figure deal initially. And um, I don't know. This, this kind of has signs of, of deja vu of Walker Zimmerman written all over it for me. You know, LAFC got rid of Walker Zimmerman, and now you know. Then the next year, he was named Defender of the Year, and he's flourishing with Nashville, uh, and was looking to flourish with the U.S. Men's National Team until he got hurt and Gold Cup. So, I don't know. Maybe a little deja vu here for LAFC, but they're taking a little bit more of a risk than Colorado is. Uh, win-win, I think, ultimately all around. They could they could switch up their formation and, and keep K. I think I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Colorado add K to the mix instead of dropping somebody off because K, Price, Kellen and Cole Bassett in that midfield allows Kellen to get more into an attacking role, which I think I'd like to see more of. He, he does it, but having K in there who is more of a true six is going to allow Kellen Acosta to make those runs more freely forward and, and create the game. So I'd love to see them switch to a four four two. 2 or, or something along the lines where they can they can incorporate K into the mix instead of having to drop somebody and decide who's going to play there.
1: And I think what you're referring to is kind of a diamond, as in what Philly plays as well. So like Jack Price at the 6, right. Acosta, and Mark Anthony K as the the dual 8s box-to-box guys, and then Cole Bassett or Nomley or one of those guys at the, right. at the 10. I would like to see that as well, but one thing Colorado – has done tactically this year is lined up in like a three, five, two. And, and that's exactly what Bob Bradley did with LAFC. They used to traditionally play a four, three, three, and they've switched up formations a little bit. And since they've been switching up that formation and playing the three back system, Mark Anthony K hasn't been playing. It's been Edward Atuesta, Latif Blessing, and Sifuente is playing right above them. So I think that Mark Anthony Kay can't do the job there, but I agree with what you said. I don't want to see one of these guys that have been in a starting role for the Rapids who are, I think, one of the most fun teams to watch in the league. And then you add this piece and you pay a million dollars for him in general allocation money. I think you bring him in with the idea that you you want him to play, but you also bring him in with the idea that like you said, maybe Kellen Acosta's gone, but also maybe Cole Bassett. Like, like you're going right. to have some guys that you, you might need to replace. Sammy Vines is yeah. set to possibly be leaving as well, and I've seen talks that, you know, we have seen Kellen Acosta play the left-back role. You mm-hmm. know, I don't want to see it, but he's done it for Colorado. He's done it for the U.S. Men's National Team. So, if they do have to get really flexible in where they play these different guys like Kellen Acosta who can do it, you have Mark Anthony K there. But I do think that partnership of Mark Anthony K. And Kellen Acosta will be a really, really fun one to watch, similarly to what we think would be the Eric Williamson-Kellen Acosta midfield for the U.S. national team, but we'll get into that probably a little bit later. But you talked a little bit about this being deja vu. One thing that is a staple in what Colorado do in signing players, yeah, they go out and get guys like Jack Price and Nomley and other guys like this, but they do a really good job about pulling guys from other other teams, NMLS experienced guys, for not an unreasonable amount of money guys that know the league and guys that are going to be able to come in and make a difference in the locker room and on the field. It's so like you said, Kellen Acosta from FC Dallas. He was starting to trend downwards there and Colorado said, you know, we see the potential in this guy. Okay. Jonathan Lewis who's with the U S men's national team right now as well at the gold cup, Michael Barrios, who just came over from FC Dallas this year, Keegan Rosenberry and Austin trustee, both guys from Philly. Both guys are now starters for Colorado. Balas Abubakar, loved him for the crew, an aggressive, big center back. Now a starter for Colorado, Diego Rubio, one of the starting strikers now for Colorado. He came from Sporting Kansas City. So Colorado has a long history of doing exactly this, and they continue to do that with the Mark Anthony K trade. So simply put, Rapids, I think, get better here, but LAFC did really, really good business. Mark Anthony K has one of the coolest stories in MLS right now, I think after going to York University in Canada, and then going to play for Toronto FC's Academy, and then playing for Toronto FC, too, in their first year in USL, and then in 2016, he's runner up in USL with Louisville, and then they win it the next year, and then he signs with the, this expansion team, LAFC, and they're the most fun team to watch in the league, with Carlos Velo, Diego Rossi, and him and Atuesta holding down the midfield, and I was just looking stuff up today, preparing for this podcast. And yeah, they, they bought him for a five, five figure contract. That's, that's all they paid for him. And they didn't expect him to honestly come in from the lower league in America and really pick up on what Bob Bradley was putting down tactically wise and what he wanted him to do as a midfielder. And he has exceeded any kind of expectations. And now that monetary value shows that. So on the books, they couldn't just, they, they couldn't hold them on the books. And Marquise has exceeded anything they thought was possible. So but, but great also, business by
0: LA. But also I read something where Bob Bradley was, was commenting on a, on a, or on a report, basically stating, kind of hinting at, you know, Mark Anthony Kay had started to in some form or fashion allude to that there might be interest from other teams. And Bob Bradley basically alluded to this fact that when, when you have a player, that comes out and starts to think this way, then you have to start thinking, okay, well, where does this player best fit in our system? If they're having those thoughts, maybe we might have to think about pushing them on and, and what we can get for them. And so I think there was a little bit of that that too. Um, I
1: saw that you know. as well. And I don't, th- I don't think that's Bob Bradley pushing it's not. him. It's not Bob Bradley pushing him out the door. Bob Bradley's a smart enough and veteran enough coach that, you know, he's like, you know what, a guy's ready to move on. He's done his job here. We have other guys now, and he's, he's grown into a better player while we've been here. Bob Bradley did a really good job about coaching him and molding him. And, you know, there's a time for every player to move on. And this is just the time for Mark Anthony Kay, and that's completely fine.
0: Let's stir the pot, Chuck. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> we are MLS gone wild, though. But I
1: got, I got nothing to stir the pot No,
0: I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I just saw that, and I thought that was kind of interesting. But, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think it was facetious or, or in any way ill will. So I think it's exactly right. Just realizing that this player is realizing, and we'll let's work together to, to do wow. some business.
1: Listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we'll be discussing how we think the Eastern Conference top four will shake out and our thoughts on the U.S. men's national team's 1-0 win over Jamaica to advance to the Gold Cup semifinals. We'll be back in 60 seconds.
0: We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing and talking about the sport, and we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a time outfitters create soccer inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each Added Time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters.
1: Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 16 of MLS Gone Wild. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Mike D., we covered everything in the West, I'm pretty sure. So now on to the East. Second and sixth place in the Eastern Conference are separated by just three points. This race for the top four spots is going to be a compelling one to watch for the remainder of the season. So let's just go ahead and assume nobody catches the revolution, although it could very well happen. How do you see the East shaking out and who finishes in spots two through four?
0: So assuming New England stays atop, I have. And this is so – it's so early to even say. And the East is, like you said, so competitive right now. Um, But I have – this is my early take. It's Nashville, New York City, FC, and Columbus and i know everybody's out there like oh yeah he pick columbus he's biased no that's not that's not what i see here um, nashville have only lost one game this season and they've yet to lose at home they're a great defensive team they're a scrappy team they're a resilient team they fight back from going down however many f- goals they get scored on and they've had a recent form in their attack that i think is going to continue to improve and i think they're going to surprise us and kind of hold down this top spot for for a little bit a little bit longer um, New York City FC is second highest goals in the East um, for goals for and fourth in goals against. And I think they're going to continue. Like you said, they're red hot right now. Uh, Jesus Medina is having a great year and I think they're going to continue to move up the table and Columbus. Their, their defense is really good. Um, They don't get scored on a whole lot. They've battled a lot of adversities this year. And I think towards the back end of the season, they're going to really start to figure some things out what I'm banking on here is is Kevin Molino to start to find form and for Jossie's artists to start scoring some goals like he did last season. If those two things can come into play, um, I don't think we're going to have any trouble in the midfield. um, And I don't think we're going to have any trouble in in defense because we haven't. Eloy room is doing exceptional back there uh, as long as the bat, as well as the back line. So if we can figure out the, the front three and have, or the front two or whatever they decide to do. Um, adding adding the molino form is really going to help add some diversity to the attack which we saw when he was with Minnesota last year.
1: I agree. I agree. My 3, well, my 4. New England, obviously cuz I didn't really give us a choice there just assuming they're going to stay at the top spot. Well, they don't know. Next, New York City FC. So you touched on a little bit. They have some really good wins this year. They beat Montreal. They beat the breaks off Orlando on the weekend. They beat DC who are just below the playoff line. Beat LAFC in the West who are a playoff team. All really good wins. So they have the most shots on target. Third in big chances created. Tied for the most goals per match in the league. All that and they are second in big chances missed with 26. Castellanos has missed a million goals this year, a million sitters this year. So let's just imagine if this team finishes their chances. They play really, really good soccer, and this team is so dangerous going forward. And you add James Sands back in the mix after he gets back. Keaton Parks has been playing really well. Maxi Morales is back. Jesus Medina is beating the brakes off team, scoring goals on a record pace for himself. Castellanos, if he starts capitalizing, New York City FC are a dangerous, dangerous team. One of the best teams, not only in the league, East, but in the league as well. So I got New York City FC pushing for the number two spot. Uh, number three for me, I'm going Nashville. They're an interesting case, Nashville. Gary Smith has a – he's a very good coach, and he has his team understanding the system that he wants them to play. And it's not always – well, it's never the beautiful possession-oriented game. It's – we're going to stay really organized defensively. We're not going to break defensively. And we've got enough talent up front in Hani Mukhtar, Randall Aliel. now CJ Sapong, who's starting to score goals. And people are saying Ake Lobo's coming in. Maybe CJ can't start, but CJ's scoring goals. So. so we'll see. But I don't know. They're 18th in the league in position, possession. Like I said, they're not a huge possession-oriented team, but they're first in shots on target per match in the entire league, and they have seven clean sheets. So. This team gets it done defensively, and they put up pretty good numbers offensively. They get up enough, like I said, the most shots in the league, maybe score some more goals, and this team could also push for the two spot, but I got them number three and the Columbus crew. The Columbus crew, I also could have put Philly here, but you know I got to throw a little bit of bias in here. The crew have a, a really good defense. If Harrison Aful figures it out, he'll be back, and well, he's going to continue to be the starter, but Abdul Salam has provided depth there. Jonathan Mensah and Abubakar Keda have looked really good for the crew in the center back roles. Once we get Milton Valenzuela back, we're good. Our midfield, we're having some issues, but Darlington Nagby is our one consistent guy in there, so we may get our tour back soon. I don't know, but we have a guy in there right now, Marlon Harrison, who's in there doing his job, and he's doing it exceptionally well. Uh, Isaiah Parente can come in. Aiden Morris probably isn't going to come in this year. Perry Kitchen provides depth. And then we have our wing guys, So If we can get our wing guys to produce more, Kevin Molino is starting to get back into full health. Luis Diaz is back from Gold Cup. Derek Etienne Jr., I would like to see Derek Etienne Jr., kind of like we talked about the last podcast, kind of get the freedom to play a little bit like we saw him with Haiti. I would like that with all of our midfielders except for Luis Diaz because he's just a burner down the wing. But And then getting our forwards to score goals. Hurtado I don't think is the answer. So when Zardes comes back, I think he's got to be the guy to, to get buckets for the crew. Bradley Wright Phillips has looked better as well. So that's, that's my top four. New England, New York City FC, Nashville, crew, save it, throw it back at me when I'm completely wrong. That's why we do these kind of predictions, Mike D. We don't do them to be right. These are just – these are hot takes, and we – We want to be wrong, you know. If you're listening and we're wrong, just interact with us. Tell us you're stupid, man. Why isn't Philly in there? Why isn't Orlando? The Supporters Shield where's last year? Why ask us these questions? But those are our top four. Mike D, do you have any problems with my top four?
0: No, I mean we had pretty much the same ones. We just swapped Nashville and New York City FC. So I just think Nashville's a a better team when it comes down to it. And like you said, New York City FC can't finish well. Nashville has had problems offensively. They're getting better at it, and they've just been the most consistent team in MLS this year, but, yeah, don't aside, f- aside from Seattle.
1: Right, and that was just the spots two through six that we were ranking. So Orlando and Philly were also options. But don't rule out Wilfred Nancy's Montreal team. Hernan Lasada's D.C. United's playing – pretty good soccer New York Red Bulls aren't very far behind them so those teams could push they're not going to push for the two spot but they could push for a top four depending on if there's some injuries to some of these top teams and some of these teams slip and they just continue to get on a good run of form so we'll see the east is going to be interesting to yeah. watch from here on out I'm like Dude, we got a pretty interesting game to watch tomorrow night when we go to three amigos to have right. our tacos, to have our tacos de carne asada. We have the US men's national team versus Qatar in the Gold Cup semifinals. Over the weekend we saw the US men's national team defeat Jamaica 1-0 on a late goal by Matthew Hoppy to send us to the semifinal. What did Jamaica that what, what did you make of that game against Jamaica? <laughs>
0: <laughs> a good, you know, a, a win, you know. A, a win's a win, not pretty by any stretch but they're able to scrap out a win against a really physical and counter-pressing Jamaican side. So I'm happy that we advance, of course. Um, we're going to do it again, you know, and, and we're gonna talk about that guy. You know, we can't, we can't keep his name out of our mouth, but Kellen Acosta, right? Um, I, I heard before the game, I didn't hear it, but I read it that Greg Berhalter had had, had a conversation and Greg Berhalter and the, and the coaching staff had a conversation with Kellen and said, They kind of challenged him. They challenged him and and said that they're going to need him to do a lot of the dirty work in the midfield, and he did exactly that. He was an absolute force defensively, um, and it was great to see him all over the pitch constantly being disruptive against Jamaica's attack. What I love to see in this performance, and I guess it's just about his mentality, is that he's constantly looking to push forward when he receives the ball, um, which is what we did not see from from Jackson Ewell. Um he gets mixed reviews from from US Men's national teams fans. But like I said, if you're an avid listener of the pod, you know that we love his play and we love to see him put on performances like this. Um the boys were able to get things going a little bit better in the second half with that tactical switch. Um, and ultimately that led to our goal. You know, World was able to get more space on the wing there and cross the ball in to Matthew Hoppe, who scored his his first US men's national team goal. And uh, speaking of Matthew Hoppe, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from him. Um, He brings a kind of arrogant attacking mindset that we've kind of talked about before. You know, we need somebody up front that is a little bit of an a-hole, a little bit, you know, cocky and and will run at a player. And he does exactly that. Uh, And I love to see that, you know, he's not afraid to dribble at a player, throw scissors in there and be a little flashy. And um, with more time, this kid is, he's going to, he's going to get, better and better. And he's going to become more of a staple in the U S men's national team. Like you said, next we face Qatar in a semifinal. And I don't know if you want to give your takes before I talk about kind of what I think about this, but
1: yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. So I don't forget what I'm going to say. I'll just build on the Matthew Hoppy hype train as well. Like I said, I'm on the Ricardo Pepe hype train. I'm also on the Matthew Hoppy hype train. He has been one of the most creative pieces for the U S men's national team in this gold cup so far like you said he's not afraid to throw a scissor he's also really really technical on the ball and clean in the dribble and that's something different from the rest of the players on this roster there aren't too many other guys in this gold cup roster that provide that so he does offer something different and it's really nice to see him get his first goal for the us men's national team it's important goal he score goals for Schalke. There's been rumors about him going elsewhere. I think if he continues to have a good rest of this tournament, I mean, maybe he gets an offer somewhere. I'd love to see that. I don't want to see him playing for a relegated Schalke side. That's kind of off-topic, but Matthew Hoppe has been a huge winner for me during this Gold Cup cycle. You spoke about Kalanacasa. I have some specific numbers. 61 passes completed, 8 out of 10 long balls completed, 8 duels won, 3 tackles, 13 ball recoveries. What that says to me is that he was all over the place on both sides of the ball. Offensively, he was spraying it around, getting the job done, whether it was lateral passing, playing the way he faces or turning and going. He is a very efficient passer. He has great range. I've talked about it a million times with both feet, right foot, left foot, pink ball, short passes, combination. He can get it done. And his defensive work was phenomenal, his positioning and his willingness to get into tackles. He's a conca-calf player. To be honest with you, we saw that in the game against Mexico, and he's showing those same kind of traits now against these other teams that we played in the group stage, and now in that game against Jamaica. I would have liked to have seen Eric Williamson in this match. Sammy Vines still looked really good to me. Jack Moore still looked really good. I was happy to see James Sands in the different look. He wasn't in the middle of a back three. He was back there in a back two with Miles Robinson. Both of those guys looked really sound. The U.S. Men's National Team dominated possession, but they didn't dominate the match. I said this about their game against Canada. Like, it says something about a team that doesn't play well and they can still go out and win the game, and sometimes that's just what you have to do in CONCACAF, and that's what they did in this match. So I was I was happy to see that they win. A win's a win. We go on two more games, and, and we got another trophy. That would be great to see two trophies in one summer, and then we go into qualifying but saying the word qualifying, I think two guys that have to be in this roster in the 23-man World Cup qualifiers are Matthew Hoppy and Kellen Acosta. If if I had to take two from this roster,
0: no, I totally agree. I think Matthew Hoppy needs that experience and he needs that confidence. He scored his first goal. He's he's not afraid to go out at, uh, at defending uh, players, and and absolutely, I'd love to see him on that roster. Now, we play Qatar tomorrow, and from what I've seen, Qatar have been kind of this this brute force attacking team. They play a 3-5-2 that transitions into a 5-3-2 defensively, and their coach was a coach for uh, Barcelona Youth Academies or ba- Barcelona Youth Teams. And not only that, but 12 out of the 23 guys on the team for Qatar play under Barcelona legend Xavi. So... We have this this Spanish style football that we're going to see tomorrow. They're a very high attacking pressing team. They are going to counter press a lot, and they're going to have they have a they have an eight, and I can't remember his name, but he's he's their playmaker. And so they're going to be coming at us, and they're going to be looking to press us hard. And if if it shows anything from the Jamaica game, we're going to struggle a little bit with that with that press. Um, so it'll be an interesting game. I'm hoping that they can deal with it. After this Jamaican game, they they know what they're looking forward to with Qatar, and they've seen kind of how they've played in, in the tournament so far. I think Qatar's leading goals right now with nine or something like that. Um, so they're they're going to be looking to go forward quickly. They're going to be coming at us. So I wouldn't I would be lying to you if I said I was I wasn't a little bit nervous. I'm nervous.
1: Hey, I've been nervous for every game the U.S. men's national team. After a couple of years ago, we didn't see them qualify for the World Cup. Like, I'm not saying expectations are low, but like. I'm scared. I'm nervous and I'm scared. So this is going to be another really big test for the U S men's national team. Like you said, these, this guitar team is going to show us something that we haven't quite seen yet. in this tournament, you talked about how the counter press and the press itself is similar to Jamaica, but the talent level of Qatar is going to be a little bit different and the speed at which right. they do press. It's going to offer a, a different challenge for the U S national team. So I think Greg Berhalter has, has to think deeply about the tactics that he deploys tomorrow and the players that he puts in there and who, who's going to be comfortable under the press, who's comfortable on the ball, who can beat the press. Those are the kind of questions that he needs to be looking at when specifically looking at who he's going to be playing in the midfield because that guy that's either playing the six or the eight are going to be the guys that are going to have to be able to release the pressure or the outside backs are going to have to find the target and we are going to have to go from there, but they're going to have to find different avenues to to break that pressure. And something we've seen throughout this Gold Cup with this roster is that Like I said, when I was complimenting Matthew Hoppe, they lack a little bit of creativity. So we may struggle. I don't think that this team can't adapt to that. And I don't think that Greg Berhalter can't adapt. I think we will, and I think we'll be fine. And I think we should win this game. I think it's destiny that we get back to the final and run it back with Mexico again. They have their A team. We have our BC or D team, whatever you want to call it. We got heart. They got a chip on their shoulder. US national team is going to go and I think they're going to beat Guitar. Mexico is going to get Canada. And we're going to meet up, I think, on Sunday. I think. And imagine, the Gold imagine Cup imagine Mexico, final.
0: Imagine Mexico loses to Canada and we face Canada and lose in Gold Cup final. <laughs>
1: I, I, I'll cancel the podcast if that's what happens, to be honest
0: with you. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely nervous for tomorrow. Excited to kind of see what Guitar brings to the table. I've seen some highlights and they definitely do look like a, like, barcelona-esque type team with that a spanish style of football so we'll see what the boys can do big
1: one tomorrow they get a win another trophy's on the line baby Mike right, t do you have anything to, to add before i close this out
0: no nothing chuck
1: listeners thanks for tuning in to another episode of mls gone wild we hope you enjoyed it if you did not Sorry about it. We'll do better next week as we are joined by Cheyenne of the popular YouTube page Between Clean Sheets to preview the Columbus Crew versus DC United match. Enjoy all of the MLS Week 16 action. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace.